Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Genesis. Tonight is study number 6 of Genesis chapter 4. And we're going to be reading verses 3 through 7. Verse 3 says, And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto Jehovah. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And Jehovah had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And Jehovah said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Well, um, in, in our last study, we were getting into the subject of God opening up the the teaching that we're saved, that God saves his elect through the faith of Christ and not through our own faith. We went to a few verses and, and, uh, we, we also were discussing how the offering of Cain and Abel relates to that because Cain's offering, according to 1 John 3.12, was an evil work. And, and, and that's why he got upset because God was making it known that his works were evil. And Abel's offering was a righteous work. And God in accepting it was making it known also that Abel's offering was righteous. And, and we were just thinking, and it, it, it's actually uh, a likely scenario, that Cain was similar to the Jews, the, the people of Israel, who um, thought that they could please God by keeping God's commandments through Saturday Sabbath observance, through circumcision, through the sacrifices, or the keeping of various ceremonial laws. They thought this is what pleased God. And yet God uh, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, lets it be known that the blood of bulls and of goats and are not what please him. That, that um, sacrifice is not in and of itself what God desired. Now, now that's an amazing thing. And King David was moved to write that in Psalm 51, in verse 16. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. And that, that's an amazing statement when we see all the many laws that God has given regarding the offering of sacrifice. And you can imagine the, the, the difficulty, the natural-minded man of whatever 
period, whether a Jew of Old Testament or a churchgoer of the New Testament, the difficulty the natural-minded man has in grasping God's God's word and and what it is that actually pleases God. God commands offer sacrifice. The natural-minded man naturally thinks I'll please God by doing what he commands and he offers sacrifice. And and yet uh, according to David he delights not in that. And and that's that's not what he desires. You see the the deeper uh spiritual meaning of things is essential. It's it's always been the most important. So God Let's it be known, he requires sacrifice. Cain brings sacrifice, Abel brings sacrifice. And, and, and again, in all likelihood, Cain was, um, working hard. He, he had to plant his crops, he had to, to water them, to take care of them, and wait patiently for the season of, of, of fruit. And, and then he took of the fruit of the ground to give to God in sacrifice that he knew God required. And, and again, it may have taken months for Cain to go through all that. And Abel, he, he just, uh, or, uh, goes out to the flock and, and he kills a firstling of the flock and, and it, it probably took a few hours, and then he makes his offering. And so Cain is thinking, uh, "I I really labored. I worked hard to present my offering to God, and Abel did the least amount required. And 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 so certainly my offering will be better. And and, and again, this is why we went to Luke fifteen. In our last study, and there, again, there were two brothers, just like Cain and Abel were brothers. And in Luke 15, the two brothers um, are, are two different men, two completely different men. One brother goes away. He takes his inheritance and he leaves his father and he wastes his inheritance uh, with harlots and riotous living. The other brother remains and stays with his father. And as he, he says, he keeps his commandments. He keeps his commandments. Now, as we look at the father and his household and his two sons, and if, if we were told one is a child of God, the other is not. One will have an acceptable sacrifice, the other will not. One is uh, approved and accepted by God, and the other is not. Our minds immediately, naturally, go to the older brother. He he was faithful. He stayed there. He he didn't um, waste his inheritance. And, and that's what the older brother thinks as well. And, and that's why he was angry. In verse 27 of Luke 15, and he said unto him, um, this is where someone was explaining to him that his brother was come and thy father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him safe and sound. And he was angry, the older brother, 
and would not go in. Therefore came his father out, and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which has devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry, and be glad. For this thy brother was dead, and is alive again, and was lost, and is found. Now, we we don't have time, and it's not our focus to go into this parable and explain everything. But basically, God is laying down a very important truth. And that is that the one who has the kid slain, it it's not always the one you would expect it to be, and it's not based in any way on the work that they did or their their obedience to the father their god's salvation is not based on merit of any kind and that's what the natural individual doesn't grasp he doesn't get a hold of he doesn't understand that all are sinners all have done wickedly And all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Whatever we attempt to do to please God, whatever work we're involved in, will never be able to accomplish what we hope it will and please Him. It's impossible. So God selects and God chooses. Jacob have I loved, but Esau I hated. God made choice between two brothers, twins. And he tells us before either had done good or evil. He made that selection. He chose Jacob and not Esau. And Esau could have been outwardly, seemingly more obedient, but he wasn't. But in the case of the two brothers of Luke 15, the more law-abiding brother, the one that did his father's commandment, was not one of God's elect. God will give them all that he has, all the blessings of association to God and, and to the oracles of God. And there are earthly blessings to being uh, um, someone who's in Israel of old or who was a part of the church. You when we live according to the Bible, we're living our life in the the best way possible. So to whatever degree we live according to the Bible, even if we're not saved, there is blessing. There is earthly blessing. And all that I have, the father says to the elder son, is yours. You can have all that. But this thy brother was lost and is found as far as salvation goes, God works according to his program of election. And and if we understand that, which, again, the unsaved person, the man of the world, doesn't understand that kind of idea. 
He operates according to works. Uh, you do good work, you'll be accepted is, is really what the people of the world think. And, and so Cain is thinking that I've worked harder. I'm the brother who maybe has done God's commandments the most or the better. And I put all kinds of thought and effort into this offering. My offering is the better offering. And, and he knows his brother Abel. He knows maybe Abel has, has not, uh, put in that kind of time and effort into his offering. And, and then comes the time at the end of the days, the end of the days where God's going to make known for the first time, maybe Cain and Abel are 25 years old or 30 or 35 years old, but they've been in, in the same household for decades, they, they've been brothers, probably fairly close. And now God reveals, I accept Abel and his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering, God did not accept it. He had no respect towards it. And, and so Cain naturally like the older brother, he, he felt, uh, abused in a sense. He, he felt that, that what, what good is it to, to work hard, to try and please God? Where, where is the value? Where, where I'm, I'm getting nothing for it. And he felt angry. Not just angry at Abel, angry at God, angry that, that God didn't recognize that uh, he had done a good work. His work was was considered evil in God's sight, and and so also angry that he he didn't know then what he could do to please God, and and so in his anger and his wrath he rises up against his brother and kills his brother. So we we really have. Um, a tie-in with God revealing his way of salvation. And, and Cain, remember, is said to be of that way in Jude. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And we, we read of Cain in Jude 11, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. What is the way of Cain? We know the way of God, the way of Christ, is we're saved by faith. It's all by grace. It's God's election program. The way of Cain is to attempt to do good work, to keep the works of the law, to do what God commands you to do. If God says, believe then you believe. And so it was at the time of the end when God opened up this information and finally it was crystal clear that we're saved by the faith of Christ and not by our own faith. And then God's elect began proclaiming it and Arminianism or the free will gospel finally, really for the first time, was outright 
identified as being another gospel. It was another gospel. And, and this was very offensive to the people within the churches and congregations that were hearing that to accept Christ and to believe this and to tell others to believe it is another gospel. And again, they reacted re- angrily and, and did lash out and, and so forth. So we, we do have that tie in. All right. Let's go back to Genesis four and then. Uh, from verse 5, But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect, and Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And Jehovah said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou do... And by the way, the word countenance is face. So, you know, there are some people, their their face falls when something goes wrong, they're angry. You can tell uh, their their face may turn red or or, or whatever. And and so uh, God is just pointing that out. Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire. And thou shalt rule over him. Now we come in verse 7 to one of the most difficult verses in the Bible. This is one of the hardest verses to understand. And, And I've looked at this and looked at this and shook my head because it's full of difficulties when you try to understand it, uh, you know, I, uh, I, I don't turn to commentaries that often. I do, uh, maybe listen to past open forums or read some of Mr. Camping's books because he, he really has touched on a great many difficult, uh, verses in the Bible. And for the most part, uh, he, by God's grace, has presented right understandings. And, and uh, you know, we're living at the time of the end. Commentaries maybe had their place during the church age before God opened the scriptures. That was uh, more than likely the best you could do was to read Matthew Henry or, or Calvin and some of these other commentators because... Um, God didn't open up certain things to anyone, and and so they tried their best in their day. But we're living at the time of the end, and and so to turn to commentaries that were written hundreds of years ago when the Bible was sealed isn't going to help at all with understanding Matthew 24 or Luke 21 or the book of Revelation or things related to the Great Tribulation, the end of the church age, Judgment Day, etc., you you might find the tiniest bit of help here and there, but overall, it's a waste of time. So I really don't turn to commentaries all that much. But just to let you know how frustrated I was with this verse, I did. And I looked it up, and I saw that I, I'm not alone in my confusion about Genesis 4-7, whatever commentary I read. And I, I only looked at a handful, uh, Calvin and John Gill, 
and a couple of others. But whichever one I turn to, they all, um, they also had difficulty. And we'll, we'll talk about a couple of the problems with Genesis 4, 7. Let's look at it again. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. The first part of the verse isn't the problem. It's the second part. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. The pronoun his is masculine, and yet we think it's referring to sin. That was in in the previous statement. Sin lieth at the door, and unto thee, Cain, shall be his sin's desire, and, and we think that the pronoun is um, speaking of sin. But the problem is that sin's in the feminine. And really, to be consistent, it should say, if it were referring back to sin, that sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be her desire. Because it would agree with the feminine case that sin is in. And yet, it's not. So it's mismatched. And also desire is also in the masculine. It's mismatched. Now, another problem is if we understand, again, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee, that's unto you, Cain, shall be his sin's desire. So sin's desire is unto Cain, And then the next part says, and thou, Cain, shalt rule over him. Again, him would be referring back to sin, and it makes no sense. Because the problem is that sin, uh, if he does not well, lies at the door. And yes, okay, we can understand to Cain is its desire, or sin's desire, but how would Cain then rule over sin? Especially when we understand Cain's an unsaved man, his works are evil, he's not going to rule over sin. So how is that possible? And then if you try other variations, well, unto thee shall be his desire. Um, maybe that's referring to someone or something else. It, you just, it doesn't ever seem to fit. You know, the various ways of trying to understand it. Now, the interlinear has attempted to understand it by doing something I don't think should have been done. And in J. Green's interlinear, it reads, and unto thee shall be Well, I'm not reading from the interlinear. It only really changes one word. But it basically says, And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou should rule over him. It changes shalt, or the the future tense shall. You, You will rule over him till you should rule over him. And the problem is, I don't think there's justification to make that kind of change. It does make it seem more understandable uh, um, unto thee, Cain, shall be sin's desire, and you, Cain, should 
rule over him, over sin. Yeah, you should rule over him. You see, God supposedly is saying to him, you, you should have control over your own body, but it's not the word should. It, they have to change the future tense to should uh, when really it does read, and thou will or shall rule over him. There, there's a big difference between shall rule and should rule. Uh, shall rule means you, you will, and should means, well, something that ought to be done, but will perhaps never necessarily get done. So there's a, a, a big difference. And again, you just kind of scratch your head and pray for wisdom. But at some point, we're studying the book of Genesis and we have to go on and we have to continue going to the next verse. So I, I just wanted to be honest and and let you know this verse is very, very difficult. Now, I think there there is a possibility of understanding this verse that I don't know if we're going to have time for in this study. We'll, we'll probably have to wait for our next study. But it has to do with the works. The works, the two brothers, two offerings, one offering, it, it's an evil work. The other, a righteous work, because Abel wasn't trusting in his own offering. Abel was trusting in Christ and the faith of Christ, the work of Christ on his behalf. Abel, like David, was given insight by God, as he was a child of God, a righteous man, to understand that God doesn't desire animal sacrifice, that God is not delighted by man's act of offering, but that God was requiring these things to point to, to teach us of the the truly acceptable offering of the Lord Jesus, the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. And so Abel, by God's grace, was a child of God, and given insight into that. And so Abel didn't come before God thinking, well, my firstling of the flock is what God's going to be pleased with and and accept me through this dead animal. No, Abel knew, I am offering this firstling and it's fat. I'm offering it to God as a sacrifice, pointing to the sacrifice of the Messiah the one that died for my sin. And so his works were righteous because they weren't actually his works, but it was the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we know God makes a point of that in 1 John 3.12. We also know that God speaks of going in the way of Cain in Jude verse 11. And, And so here, I think the key is this verse, the second part of Genesis 4, 7, Unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shall rule over him. Notice how similar it is to Genesis three sixteen, and And the second part of Genesis three sixteen, where God is speaking to Eve. And thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. 
And the word desire is only found three times. Here in Genesis 4 and once in Song of Solomon. Actually, in Song of Solomon, it also relates to a marriage relationship between Christ and his bride. So in two of the three cases or places, desire, that word desire is found, it relates to marriage. And I think, um, possibly, that Genesis 4, 7, in referring to um, Cain and, and using this language, God is referring to a spiritual marriage. But we'll have to take a look at how that is with our next study. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.